we are recording a little later than we usually do, a whole day later, because I went to go and record yesterday, opened my laptop, and uh, a whole lot of things happened. <laughs> First of all, it was not turning on, and I plugged it in, and it still didn't turn on, and then I went and found another USB-C charger in case that was the problem, and it didn't turn on. And then it did turn on, and it turned on with like 20% battery and all kinds of weird stuff, so I have no idea what was going on there. And it was acting real sluggish, which is very annoying when you have a co-host waiting for you to record and you feel very guilty. (laughs) And then as soon as I clicked the record button, my entire computer shut down and started doing a operating system update which was the most extremely Windowsy thing I have ever experienced on an Apple computer, I think. It had multiple installation progress bar windows and all kinds of stuff, and it was real, real annoying. So something I would like to talk about is redundancy. (laughs) (laughs) It's only fitting given the IT discussion we had last time. Do you ever take your work along with you when you travel? My computer always goes, of course. I can get things done early morning when we're traveling, and that typically means like small bug fixes or running through emails, uh, catching up on some of the forums that I'm a part of. Like That sort of thing is pretty easy for me to do, and I don't mind doing that in the morning when I'm traveling unless I'm qualifying it as a legit vacation. And if I'm qualifying it as a legit vacation, then I won't do that at all. I put up the auto responders and stuff, and you're gonna. I, I wish you all the best in reaching me <laughs> whenever I do that. Is there anything in your life that has? I mean, obviously, a computer. Like, if a computer breaks, that would be a problem. But is there anything else in your life that it's like, man, if I don't have a backup of this thing and it breaks, I'm, that's going to be a real problem. Good question. I would say probably, it's probably small stuff. Like, if my power cord goes out, then I have a bit of a problem, which, oddly enough, I did have that problem not long after I got this current computer. Mm. I did have a power cord that went bad and had to replace it, kind of a last-minute deal, and that was kind of a stressful situation. But other than that... You know, if if my computer itself goes down, that's kind of a problem. I don't really have a good redundancy there. But outside of that, like if the Wi-Fi goes down, that's fine. I I can do local development and not worry about it. Or, you know, if my microphone dies, it's not a huge deal. I've got some backups around. Or my soundboard dies, like I can borrow one from the church. Like those types of things, like I have enough like options around that are not a real problem. But if that computer itself goes down, I would say that's probably my bottleneck. Maybe I should do something about that. But having redundant computers is, one, seems a bit frivolous (laughs) and not real easy to manage. I've done that before, and it's not real simple. Yeah, I think that when your computer dies, everyone understands that you aren't expected to have a second backup computer waiting in the wings for whenever that happens. Yeah, The weird problems that I was going through made me think about this because there were so many things that I was scrambling to find a second thing for. And I mean, my computer was the thing that messed up, so I don't think it was that big of a deal. I recognized a while ago, I only have a single mini USB to USB cable that connects the audio interface to my computer. You want some extras? I've got a bunch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, it wouldn't be very hard or very expensive for me to weigh my house down with a few more of those. 
but I uh, I have not done that, and I don't think that anything's going to happen to my USB cable, but it is quite small, and I think that the USB mini port is probably not the most steadfast and sturdy thing I've ever seen, so I should probably get a few more of those. It's a weird thing when you are traveling, this kind of stuff I think becomes much more apparent to you, and you recognize, oh shoot, this system that usually sticks around in my desk. And I'm not even necessarily talking entirely about like a hardware setup, but just your setup. You know, I think when you are home or in the environment that you're accustomed to, you're better at making sure that everything gets done the way that it needs to get done. And when you leave that environment, it becomes pretty apparent how fragile some of those pieces are or how complex it gets and how easy it is to forget one thing or the other. I think I'm kind of an anomaly with this as well. That has a lot to do with the fact that I have a backpack that I keep pretty much everything in and like my power cord always goes there, you know, the little AV adapter that I use, the whole RJ45 adapter that I keep around, like all of that stuff lives in that backpack. So it's with me all the time. That's probably factor one is my office is pretty much designed to be mobile. And I simply have places to set up shop. And one of those happens to be at home. And I've been playing around with renting an office space in town, but I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. I just don't feel like spending the money on that sort of thing. So I I think that's part of it is I do have so much of my office set up in that backpack and it's mobile. Uh, But the second piece is that I don't rely on Wi-Fi or wireless systems that often. I have the AirPods and I use those every day, but I always have like a wired set of headphones in my backpack. And I mean, that's what the RJ45 adapter is, your Ethernet adapter. Like I keep that around uh, partially because I'm in IT and I never know when I'm going to have to hardline into something just because those systems don't work on Wi-Fi and it's by design. So, you know, I have to have that sort of thing around. So I always have backups of that kind, but I, I tend to rely on wired connections before I rely on a, a wireless connection almost every time. And although I love Wi-Fi, it's, it's amazing. It's crazy how it works, but I still feel that relying on it can be a bit dicey sometimes and can lead to more stress than it's worth. And that's why I I tend to keep a lot of wired stuff around. You always use Ethernet? Not always. I'm on it right now because I want to make sure that I don't lose a connection currently. Is that hard for you with your USB-C MacBook? I don't see it as a problem. Honestly, it's kind of nice because it doesn't matter which side I plug it into because I've got the adapter for it. So it doesn't really matter where it's at. (laughs) I can plug it in anywhere. That's funny. Yeah, I guess in that situation too, the dongle isn't that big of a deal because you are already plugging a big long wire into your computer. Correct. So just extending that big long wire out into a... USB-C ending doesn't really change the whole situation that much, does it? No, and I I think this is maybe why I don't really give a rip about the USB-C only computers, because to me, it's kind of nice to have, and it's partially because I keep that backpack around, and I always have all these adapters with me, so it's not a big deal. I was already doing a lot of that whenever I got the computer. So for some people, I know it's a new lifestyle of carrying these things around all the time, and they really don't care for it. For me, it's just more of the same. It's not a big deal. It is good to be in a situation where you have as many redundancies as possible, but sometimes it isn't really worthwhile or possible, I guess, to to make that happen. 
But, you know, we talked a little bit before about how I kind of like MacGyvering situations and that kind of thing. And I always feel like it's a real bummer when I didn't get a chance to do that yesterday. (laughs) All my MacGyvering (laughs) failed me. There was nothing I could do when I saw the 42 minutes remaining installation process on the uh, Mac OS update, which was real, real fun. So anyways, we're we're here now. We're here now and we're recording. Which is quite a uh, a feat, it sounds like. For me, I just turned things on and sat down. For you, when you're in a different place, <laughs> it can get to be a mess, as we've learned. I want to know about your TV. Like, that, that was, it was bugging me. <laughs> well, since I'm on vacation, I can't tell you, but I'll give you this update, and I think you'll appreciate this update very much. Okay. You told me to unplug my computer for how long? Uh, around three hours or so. Computer. By computer, I mean television. <laughs> I know what you meant. <laughs> it's all the same. Yeah, I mean, it really is all the same now. <laughs> I had not gotten around to it, after the last time that we recorded, but I did unplug it right before I left. So when I go home, it will have been unplugged for a full week. Nice. And (laughs) I will will report back. (laughs) If a full week's worth of being unplugged doesn't drain that battery, I don't know what will. Watch, it won't connect to Wi-Fi now. (laughs) Yeah, just totally confused. (laughs) Another thing that you mentioned in the last episode was that you had a Windows phone at one point. You said this while you were explaining something to me, (laughs) and I missed it whenever you mentioned that. And all I could think whenever I heard this was, what? You owned a Windows phone. Why, number one, and what did you do with this thing? Okay, so this was before the iPhone. You know, it wasn't a Windows phone. It was a Windows Mobile 6. Maybe that's what it was. Okay. This was pre-iPhone Windows Mobile phones. What kind of phone did you have before you had an iPhone? I had a BlackBerry. It was a work thing. Yeah, yeah. So see, I didn't have a BlackBerry. I had no need for a BlackBerry. And I needed something. And this was when everything was bad. And so I didn't have like any kind of bias towards the best bad thing. They were all just bad. I mean, I don't even remember what kind of smartphones existed at the time besides Windows mobile phones and Blackberries. I think those might have been it. I would have been into the Palm Pre if I could have been, but I feel like maybe that was too late or only available for certain carriers. I have no idea. When I wanted to upgrade myself to a smartphone with internet, and a browser and the ability to run apps and all of that, I ended up getting a Windows mobile phone. I could not tell you who made it or or what kind of phone it was. They were all bad and weird at the time. I remember that it did have a stylus, and the screen was extremely small, and I think that it had a slide-out keyboard of some form or another. This was definitely way before touch keyboards I couldn't even imagine doing that with like the little tiny screen and the little tiny stylus. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good experience. I didn't like it, but (laughs) I wanted the ability to Google things. I mean, that was really it. That was it at the time. I don't really recall downloading ebook apps at the time. So that would have been something I started doing on my iPhone. And I mean, I, I think it was just my fascination with technology that made me want a complex phone. And also my love of being able to answer, what is the answer to that question, questions, whenever they came up in normal conversation and me being able to pull up my phone and actually answer it by going to Google and doing that. I was constantly trying to make that thing run as fast as possible because it was so slow. So I ended up going on developer forums where people would have their own versions of firmware 
that you could download that would try to speed things up or do things a little differently or or reskin the terrible Windows mobile operating system to look a little less ugly. Although most people just ended up making it a little more ugly. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was not a great thing. Uh, what what kind of BlackBerry did you have? Uh, I couldn't tell you what the exact one was, but the primary focus of it was email, which yeah. is kind of typical of folks who were in the BlackBerry world. But that was, uh, I got the BlackBerry as part of my first job out of college. That might date me a little bit. I remember I had that phone for about two years, but it was one of those that had the little ball in the center that you use to navigate with your cursor, and then you would click it. And we actually still have that phone. It is an excellent toy for kids right now. Okay, cool. There's a testament to the value of (laughs) the old Blackberries. But I remember for me, that ball fell out at one point whenever I was looking to get rid of it. And that also happened at the point when I was transitioning away from the company that I had purchased it for. And I upgraded from that to an iPhone 4. And the iPhone 4 was my first iPhone. And I've never been off of them since. So, but yes, that BlackBerry, uh, you know, I was working for an ag research company. So I was in fields and driving tractors and trucks and stuff quite a bit and, you know, that sort of thing. So, a lot of my work was on the phone or via email, and it was almost mandatory that you would respond to email at all times of day and such. Maybe that's partly why I left. I don't know. But although the BlackBerry was nice for that sort of thing, I can't say that it was something I used heavily. Something like Google was painful to use on that thing with, like, what, a 1.2-inch screen on it of sorts, like, you just you're not going to see a whole lot and using that scroll ball to navigate was painful so anyway it it wasn't fun (laughs) to use but it got the job done from an email stance which is about all we really asked it to do yeah you know that's a funny thing is as i'm looking back i'm like i'm looking at a screenshot of windows mobile 6.1 or i don't even know if that's the one that i had they all look pretty much the same i this one looks like this came out after the iphone so maybe i had windows mobile 5.0 who can say it doesn't matter. Anyways, I'm looking at this and thinking, this is so basic. And I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking, what did, I, what did I do with this? Because I think it's funny how much my paradigm of a phone has shifted in the sense that when I think about a phone, I think about doing dozens or hundreds of things. You know, on my iPhone, I read books and send text messages and read articles and browse the internet and have a million apps and could play any game I want and obviously could make phone calls, which is, of course, becoming the last thing I do on the thing that's still weirdly called a phone. Yep. And I look at this this screenshot of Windows Mobile and I think, there's nothing here. I could send emails, but I don't really think I did that often because... It was so painful, and I didn't have anything that was super urgent back in that time period. I could make phone calls, so I did that. It says that it had a task manager, but it looks real bad, and I have no memory of using it whatsoever. So I think that it was really just a phone, a smartphone that was really complex that also could do basic Google searches. I think that was really all that I used it for. And I don't know, that that's pretty funny. That's funny to think of that because that just doesn't fit the paradigm in my head for what a phone is anymore. Yeah, I think there's, it's got to be only a matter of time before 
we start looking at renaming this thing or just start calling it something different because it's really ironic that we call it a phone and that is quite often the last thing we use it for. <laughs> so like, so here's an example. I did do a small update to my iPhone home screen okay. and there's a couple apps that I've moved over to that working copy and Shelly and those two, like one of them lets me view and edit code The other one actually lets me do what we call an SSH tunnel. So basically, it lets me log into a Linux server online somewhere and run commands on it, which technically speaking, those two combined make it possible for me to do development on my phone. Now, I don't because it's kind of painful to do that, but it's kind of nuts to me to think that, you know, I can be out somewhere. Someone can text me and say, hey, this website is down. And I can pull up command line on my phone and restart that server from anywhere. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't need to wait until I get back or hustle back to my computer or anything. I literally can restart that thing from my phone without any sort of an interface on it at all. So it's kind of nuts to see how these things have progressed. And I'm kind of just waiting for us to you know, refer to them as pocket computers more regularly or you know something along those lines just because the phone is so little of what we use it for i wish i could coin a term for it so if you think of a good term <laughs> let me know I, I would love to have a dedicated word for it but phone continues to to dominate that market for sure i wonder if a switch will end up happening whenever stuff like apple watches become more ubiquitous and more powerful Because I could see a future where I actually don't have a phone anymore. I just have an Apple Watch and a really beautiful, slim iPad. Because if I could put everything on an Apple Watch, like phone calls and communication, and Siri or something was good enough for me to do that without thinking about it, without giving it a second thought, and I had an AirPod in my ear all the time, which I basically already do, then I think I could totally obviate the need for a phone. Because I I like using a tablet better. I think it's nicer to have a slightly bigger screen. And the only reason that I need a phone is because you can't really make calls to a tablet, nor would you want to. And I didn't want to get the LTE Apple Watch because I don't think it's quite ready yet. But I don't know. I think that there's a a possibility that what we're going to end up doing is moving where all of these devices are kind of the same and the phone becomes less and less powerful and important as the primary thing because that technology is all over you, on your hand and in your backpack. And I mean, obviously, sooner or later, right, like on your eyes, if they figure out a good way to do glasses, which I'm sure they're working real, real hard at right now. So I think that that might be where the shift comes is finally removing that central role from the phone itself. This may be similar to the conversation we had last week about tech and how it slowly permeates in our view of what is, uh, I guess, old school continues to change. Right. And, you know, there's definitely this weird feeling when you run across somebody who has something like Google Glass or the Apple Watch is starting to break some of these barriers where it just feels weird that you've got tech on you, like physically mounted to you (laughs) in some way, which some would argue that we do that already with our phones in our hands. But I, I think we're slowly breaking down some of those walls of having these things on us. 
And the more that that becomes normal, the the more obvious it will become that they are a part of us. I was in doing a, a training on a lighting system yesterday at the church, and the guy who was doing the training had an Apple Watch, which means I've got an instant jumping off point to, to start a conversation with him. But at the same time, it really wasn't a big deal. I've, I've worked with enough people who have them and am around people who have them enough that it just isn't, it isn't really a thing that I see as a problem outside of the fact that they quite often have a hard time focusing as a result <laughs> of them. <laughs> so that part aside, you know, that, that I have kind of an issue with, but their prevalence means that you become aware of how to interact with people who have them much quicker than you would, uh, like something like Google Glass. Like I've got a couple friends who have the whole Google Glass thing, um, and, and although they're always talking about the benefits of it, I always wonder, you know, how is this actually going to work in the real world? And I don't think that the whole—I don't want to say taboo—but the whole uh, resistance to something like a pair of glasses with a computer in them, that just feels like one step too far at the moment. I think we'll eventually get there, but right now it feels like it's just a little too far. So we're not used to it yet. I I think it'll be interesting when we get there. I just don't think we're to that point yet. Yeah, I mean, even looking at this phone now, this screenshot of Windows Mobile and remembering that, I mean, this is such a far cry away from what exists today. And it was 10 years ago. So I wonder what 10 years from now will look like. Because I see the link from 10 years ago Windows Mobile to our operating systems of today. They look similar. There is email on both of them. And there is a clock in the top right-hand corner. And there's a menu bar and, you know, places to tap and all of that stuff. But if you would have shown me an iPhone screen, if you would have shown 10 years ago me, past Drew, an iPhone screen, I wouldn't have been shocked by it, but I would have really wanted it at that time, obviously. Right. Uh, And I, I wonder if whatever technology exists in 10 years will be shocking or if it will just be a further iteration that makes total sense and we wish that we had now. I think that the the main difference is the fact that For the last 10 years, this one singular device, this phone concept has been the one thing that's really getting all of the brunt of the update. And I wouldn't be surprised if as the years go on, it becomes less and less integral. But I mean, I think that that's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm pretty sure that Apple is going to continue putting the majority of their focus on the iPhone for a long while to come because it sells a whole lot of iPhones And it's the thing that people think of when they think of Apple at this point. So they're not going to cast it aside and say, you know what, the iPhone's cool, but we want you all to have Apple Watches. Not yet, at least. But as I look at this, I am very certain that I am thankful I don't have a Windows mobile phone anymore. I finally, finally wrote an article on my entire paper system and how I use that on a daily and weekly basis pictures included and it is my real system i didn't like make this up like that is a thing that people ask about all the time drew why don't you take a picture of the real thing and share it's like well part of it i have to blur out because like i can't i'm under contracts i can't share (laughs) 
<laughs> company names with some of this stuff. Like I'm legally bound not to share this. And so I have to blur some of that out. But other than that, it's the real deal. Like that is the whole thing right there. So an analog task manager. Yes. This is something that you've been using for a good while now, which is awesome. And I think that there's a lot of interest in this kind of system. I mean, I know that I have it. The fun thing about, you know, analog task management, the fun thing about creating an analog system at all is that you aren't bound by any rules at all. So you can do whatever makes sense to you, which I think is excellent. And it seems pretty clear that you have done that. This has been a work in progress for a while. And it's kind of a mashup of a whole bunch of things I've done in the past along with some things that I have found since moving over to the paper world. And with this, you know, there, there's a couple like guiding principles with it that I had. And one is that rewriting just doesn't work for me. I know some people will rewrite their lists every week, but I just have enough of them and enough going on that it's just painful. Uh, literally hurts my hand to <laughs> write that much every single week. Right. So I, I don't want rewriting but at the same time i'm also very aware that i need to have my day's work and my week's work visible to me all in one shot and that's where like if you're looking through this article there is this weekly tracking and planning and then the daily tracking and planning like those two pieces i see at the same time and you know if you're listening to this the left hand side of that fold has you know, Drew, you and I have talked about some of this before, these bars that I fill in as we go with activities that I find I want to hit a certain number of hours of in a given week, and then others that I want to limit to a, a certain number of hours. And that's where I keep track of that. Below that bottom half, left-hand side, I keep a list of things that I do every single week. Those just are repeating. And on the right-hand side of the bottom of that page, are a list of the projects that I have that I'm working on specifically this week. And basically what that page does is show me everything from a weekly stance, the goal of the week. Like This is how much time I want to spend in different places. These are the tasks and projects I should be working on. But it gives me a pretty good overview of that. And it lets me set up the right-hand side of the page, which is just broken out vertically for each day of the week. And then for each day of the week, I'm spelling out what my uh, appointments are for each day, as well as the specific tasks, the most important tasks, if you will, for that given day. And having those two visible at all times means that I'm grounded pretty well each day and can very easily say, you know, this is what I should be working on. I need to be working on this project. And to me, that's the main goal with any form of a task manager is having extreme clarity about what you should or shouldn't be working on at any given time. So I feel like if I'm able to hit that point and regularly and without issue, like to me, that's that's a successful task manager. So I'm not going to belabor this and go into just the project list and context list. Like those are pretty straightforward. But that, you know, that whole weekly and daily tracking and planning, to me, that's the core of that whole system. Project codes are really interesting to me. I, I don't think I'd seen that before, or I, I don't believe that we've talked about that before. And you basically, for every different project, give a code. Yeah, it's a, it's a six-character code. And the first two are the year that I started that project. 
And then the middle two characters are an indicator of the area, and I only track three anymore. One is for personal, one is for my work stuff, and one is for the church. So I just have two-digit codes that tell me which of those areas. And then the last two characters in that six-character string is just an incrementing number throughout the year. And then, of course, it resets to zero at the beginning of the next year. And then what, you have folders on your Mac? that have this also, and then you put everything that has that's pertaining to that project in that folder? Is that how it works? Yeah, so this, this translates in two different areas, probably three, actually, because I have areas in the back of this notebook where I take notes about a project, especially when I'm on a client call, and they're helping me understand what it is they want to do. I'm usually writing a lot of notes in this notebook in the back, and at the top of those project notes page, I will put this code. Uh, I also put the code in front of any tasks that I have that I've written down on my actual task list. But that code, it does translate into the digital realm in that I have in my iCloud account, the documents folder, and that I have a projects folder. And even within that, I've got active and archive. And that active folder within that projects folder is where I will have a folder for each of these that pertains to like it has that project code on it i usually put the keywords about what it is as well in that project folder name but it does get me into the digital realm and makes it very easy for me to say okay well here are the projects that i have going on that are all active and if i have a project that i'm looking at in my paper notebook that has you know call it 18 work 04 And I can go to my digital folder, find that project code, and then get all of my reference material for that project. So this weekly tracking and planning thing, that's been going for a good while now. It seems like if you're, you know, still posting about it and talking about it, that this kind of fill the bar concept stuck with you. Yeah, that thing, it's been a fascinating thing to see because when I first started that, I kind of saw it as a chance to say, here are the four or five things that I want to make sure I'm doing every week. And this is how much time I feel like I should be spending on each of them. And it did work out that way. But since then, it has grown into, I guess, a whole page about, am I dedicating my attention where it should be? Like that is what it's kind of become. I mean, and technically speaking, they're the same. But from a mental state, the more you use that bar process, especially when you start putting, you know, these are my recurring tasks every week and these are my projects for the week, you put those three pieces together and it becomes this really clear picture of what is going on that week and am I tracking okay? Like, I don't need something that tells me how much I've got to get done each day to hit that goal. My intuition's pretty good at that. But if I'm tracking behind, say, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday, and if I was looking at my client projects bar, and it's sitting at five, as it is in the screenshot, I'm kind of in a spot, because, like, although technically speaking, I could get up to the number of hours I want for that in the, in a given week, it's not going to be fun. <laughs> and that that means like I need to dedicate a lot of Thursday to that particular item. Right. And I have to be okay knowing I'm going to come up short that week because I know in the screenshot I'm trying to get up to 14 
okay, well, technically I can get there, but I've got enough other stuff going on at the church on Friday that means I can't put more than maybe six hours toward it, so I'm going to come up short for that week. Right. But I I become aware of that roughly Wednesday night and and can start to adjust the next five days accordingly. So I I think the, the mental clarity around what it is I have going on has increased significantly as a result of that, and I can't say that I foresaw that happening in really any way at all at, at the bottom it's just a just a kind of typical checklist right yes yeah kind of basic but i like simple just was making sure i i understood it all yeah th- this this project is really cool I, I think it's i think it's unique it's funny because your project titles those project codes that, that's something that i would have never ever thought to do and I, it looks very coder to me to give everything this very specific thing. <laughs> yeah. But I can't knock it. I can't make fun of it at all because I'm the guy that has, you know, 15 folders on my Mac that all have the exact same name. And I have terrible naming structures for anything. I can never, ever find anything once I once I create it because yeah. I, I don't think about trying to find it later. And this kind of system would work out really well for a lot of things in my life. Even just trying to write down a code for each thing that is, it doesn't even have to be this specific because I just like the idea of having a, a date or a title and a project type and just using that over and over and over again because I bet that it makes things quite convenient to search and also to look through because everything already has its own type of hierarchy, which is, which is really cool. So what kind of stuff would go into these folders on your Mac that correspond to these projects? Yeah, so if I say I've got a folder for... Uh, let's just take the first one on that list. So the remodel master bedroom. And in that case, I've got a folder for that on my computer. And what lands in that can be photos I've taken of the progress, or it may be manuals for a tool I bought that will help me in that process, or a schematic that we drew for what our night tables or in tables are going to look like. Like, all of those pieces will land inside of that folder. Probably the more common one that would make more sense for most is like my client projects. Say I get an email and they've given me 24 assets for the site design. So they're pictures, they may be uh, keynote files that have kind of a rough mock-up of what they want. And I will store a lot of those in those file folders and, and, and try to keep track of them all in that one place. But the nice thing is, like, it basically means anytime I collect absolutely anything about that project, that's where it goes. It ends up almost being like this file uh, replacement of sorts for something like Evernote or Notes. It's kind of like that, but just in raw file formats as opposed to a legit storage system. Yeah, I almost want to do something like this similar within Notes or something, because I guess I could use a folder structure on the iPad, which is my primary place where I work, but it's not as easy, I feel like. And I I don't like files and folders as much as maybe you do. 
But it would just be really nice for every time that I'm working on a project for a client, because that's that's where this really intrigues me. Some of the clients that I've had for long term now, I've been working on 10, 15, 20 different projects for them. And then I go back and I try to find something for project seven, and I can't do it. There's no way. It feels way too hidden. Um, but with, with something like this, I mean, it would be very easy to say, oh, yeah, even if I didn't remember what project I had called it, I could say, oh, well, project nine was after it. Project eight was after it. Oh, here we go. I can find the information quickly again. And that's a really neat way of making sure that you know where everything is, even when it's not like top of mind, which I find often is the case when you're doing freelance stuff. Because you have 10 different people's top priority stuff all being juggled at once. Yeah, I uh, I will say where this falls down is if you have a repeat client, because they, you know, and I, I'm getting to where I do a lot more of this. So I'm probably in a little bit of flux right now of where I'm trying to store some of this. And that's that's purely a factor of you know, if I have a repeat client and they want me to reuse the assets from the last project, like that's fine. But where do I store those images now? Like where do I store the source file for that? And currently I've been keeping just like a client's file and storing overarching global stuff there. But I've also been, here's back office stuff at Joe's World. I'm in the process of I guess, formalizing my discourse business and creating a team around that. And as a result, a lot of my client's information needs to be available to other people as well. So storing it on my computer doesn't really work to do that. So I'm, I'm of course, building out a discourse instance where I store a lot of this information, but that allows me to... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Wait, did you like this say... Is, this is going to get big. Are you saying a discourse for a discourse? Yes, exactly. <laughs> discourse forum for discourse forum storage? Yep, this is going to get real okay. meta. That's even why, like, if you go to discourse.org, like, there is an entire forum about the forum software called Meta, yeah. and that is what it is. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. It, it's kind of nuts. But yes, that's that whole team... Like, I would need to store all of that information for each project there for them and tag multiple projects by the client name so that you can pull all those different client projects together and get the stuff you need. So that sort of thing, I'm kind of transitioning my work stuff to, my client stuff over to that. Uh, but I haven't fully made that transition right now just because it's still so new at the moment. But yeah, all of my personal stuff for sure and the church stuff for sure, like those live in project folders on my computer itself. I really liked the way that you ended up wrapping up this article, which was talking about portability, which we have talked about before. Right. It is something that I had brought up because I know other people would bring it up, which is how do you keep this on you at all times? Because I can do that with a digital task manager, and I'm worried about not being able to do that with an analog task manager. And your answer is, I mean, it is mobile, but I don't take it with me all the time. And I love that answer because it's a much more human, normal, boundary-filled answer than many other people's answers are to their work lives. And I think that's really cool. You, you say you're not a robot who needs to be able to work at any time and on every whim. You like having a bit of space every once in a while. And that's a great sentiment. I think that's really, really important to remember. Even when you have all of these tasks, even when you have all these projects, even when you're trying to fill these bars, you can step away from them and not have to look at them for hours on end while you live your life. 
and you're not a slave to this system. This system is intended to exist for your benefit, not the other way around. And it's a weird reality that that's actually an important thing to remember today. And I think that's why I wanted it in that article that way. Because this, I hear this all the time. Joe, I can't do a, a paper system because I need this stuff with me all the time. And I've kind of gotten to where I just ask, really? Are you sure about that? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound healthy to me. And I, I feel like this is something that we're not real good about uh, separating from the the amount of work that we have. And this is... You know, we've talked about some of the unintended side effects of working with paper in the past, and one of them with a task manager in its entirety on paper is that you can't have it with you at all times, and it can't be something that you just click the other app and see what's going on with it. And I think if you you were able to maximize every second of every single day, maybe that would be valuable. And maybe you would be able to 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 see the benefit of that, but we don't operate that way. Like we we don't maximize every single second of every day, which means that you are going to have breaks, whether you think you are or not. Like those are things that you have to have to be a, a successful and a functioning and thriving human. You need those breaks, and having a, a paper system forces those breaks from time to time, and. I have found that whenever those breaks are forced, that's when they're the most needed. It's not like I'm in a meeting and I don't have it with me and I really need it right now because I took it with me. <laughs> like that's like I know I'm going to need it at that scenario, so I'm going to take it with me. But if I'm going to go get ice cream with my wife and girls, well, I don't need that with me. I'm going to be gone for maybe a couple hours depending on how long a 3-year-old takes to eat an ice cream cone. But, you know, I don't need that with me when I'm out with them and that's okay. Like I have the note cards in my back pocket if I need to write something down or I can take a note on my phone if I need to. Like those things I can get things written down but seeing what I have on my list right now, I don't need that. Like it it just doesn't need to be there. So I was intentional with choosing that to end that article and I hope it resonates with somebody but it's kind of a short one paragraph thing. I could probably write an entire article just on that one piece. Maybe I should. Don't know. At some point. But for now, I'm going to leave it where it is. I think this is a really cool system, and I'm glad that this has been working for you for a long time. And I think that it might inspire other people to do similar things. I mean, I know that our our conversations have made me interested in picking up pen and paper and using that, and I'm still plowing away through morning pages. I have missed a few days lately, but uh, I am still utilizing that, and I have seen other people pick it up as well. And... I think that there is something about the slowing down of pen and paper that is important both for stuff like writing morning pages and for a task management system like the one that you're creating. And I think that more people could benefit from it. Moving away from your phone for a second and doing something like this is such an important component of making sure that you have a full life and a well-rounded life. And it's cool to see the way that it's working out for you. Go paper. (laughs) 